It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life brings you interviews with some of the most inspirational and influential people in the world. It's our goal to educate and empower you so you can live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. We have another great show for you today. According to today's guest, Greg McEwen, if you find yourself stretched too thin, overworked, and exhausted because you say yes to everything, the way out is regaining control of your choices so you can channel your time, energy, and effort into making the highest possible contribution toward the goals and activities that matter. Greg draws on experience and insight from working with the leaders of the world's most innovative companies to show how to achieve getting the right thing done in the right way at the right time. Greg is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Welcome, Greg. Thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be with you. So, Greg, so many of us are overworked and have the I-can-do-it-all mentality. We spin our wheels killing ourselves, and in the end, we're often unproductive. What do you believe is happening in our society today? Well, I think that we've been conned into, into believing that a simple equation, something like, you know, do it all equals get it all. And that sounds, there's a sort of fairness to that that, that makes it quite appealing. Well, yeah, I guess if I do it all, then I, I should get it all. But everything is wrong about that. Uh, beginning with, it's all just a big lie. I mean, if you, first of all, you can't do it all. Uh, and secondly, when you try to, you certainly don't end up getting it all. You end up, uh, you know, busy but not productive. Stretch too thin at work, at home, and beyond. Uh, you know, your day feeling hijacked by other people's agenda, uh, and, and also just kind of giving up too, to some extent. So, you know, you, they, then you end up wasting time on social media and in any uh, any number of sort of less important uh, distractions and entertainment forms. And so, it, it, so there's there's just this uh, this whole logic uh, that turns out. Uh, not to be true, and, and I call that uh, logic non-essentialism. Mm-hmm. So the way of thinking, it's, uh, it's been sold to us in, in magazines, in movies, in, 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 in TV shows, in, in family culture uh, that's just been passed down, in, in, in organizational culture, all of those things. So, Greg, I'm sure a majority of our listeners are seeing their life in what you just described. So what is the way of the essentialist? How does that person live life differently? Well, first of all, you've got to you've got to get to uh, the, the, a new mindset. So this old mindset, this non-essentialism, is the first thing that has to be removed. And it's not enough just to say, "Well, I don't like that. Let's skip to new behaviors." We do need to get to new behaviors, but you can't just skip the the unlearning and the relearning process. And here's why: because if listeners have, as I'm sure most of them have. I've read articles online of productivity tips, things that you can do, uh, what, you know, ways, to, ways to increase efficiency and so on, and have then tried to apply those ideas. One of the, the, the problems they'll have found is that, is that often 
the, the, the tools and tricks and tips that are given don't give the promised result. And the reason is because non-essentialism is still the governing value, the governing assumption of their lives. So if you really believe, I've just got to shove more in and then I can have it all, then you add a bunch more tips and tricks. Well, you're still going to apply all of those to trying to support this, this core idea. So you really do have to relearn, so unlearn that way of thinking, see how like vile it is, see the cost of it in your own life, enough that you go, okay, I'm actually seeing my life wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm actually seeing things incorrectly. What's a new equation? What's a new model? It's that you can do anything but not everything. Uh, another way of saying the same thing, a few things are really important. Almost everything is nonsense. Is another thing, another way of saying, I'm trying to get at the same idea. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't make it important. We spend our lives doing things unconsciously, doing things that we don't even realize we're doing and living our lives for other people. I saw a clip from one of your presentations and you shared the story of writing down the answers to the question, what would you do if you could do anything? And in the presentation, you joked because the one thing that wasn't written on your list was to attend law school and the problem was you were in law school and I think that resonates with so many of us with the way that we live our lives well that's exactly right in, the, in that lesson there was the, the, the there are the, the in that experience rather sort of this main lesson is uh, is that the most important work doesn't even get on our to-do list mm -hmm. and often we're pursuing things that in fact we wouldn't even pursue if we became conscious. So I do agree that, uh, you know, the sort of the therefore what of that and one of the most practical things people can start doing to make this mindset shift is the simple idea of taking a, a, a time log. Take a week, one piece of paper, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. You just have, you know, just, just with pen and, and ruler, divide up seven days, Divide up each, each day into half hour or hour segments. So it's just on one piece of paper, simple thing. And then just every half hour, just pause. And maybe you don't do it every half hour. It's a bit, 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 bit much when I've done this. I don't always just stop every half an hour. But every so often through the day, stop and just write down, well, what have I done over the last you know, hour, two hours, three hours? And just try and keep a full account of what is being done. And don't, don't, don't stress too much about, well, I, sh I shouldn't do this, or I should do that. Just gather the data mm -hmm. so that you can start to look at how am I spending this exceedingly precious resource? How am I really, what am I doing with it? And even if someone were just to do that and then kind of just pause and, and talk about it with their, their, their spouse, with, the, with a friend at the end of the week, what do they notice? And then just do it again. Even just do this for a little while until what happens is that you're increasing your awareness of the problem of this, of this, this how, it, how dominant this mindset is and how it's shifted into our behavior and how we don't even realize, as you already indicated, how much we are spending on the trivial many mm -hmm. instead of the, the vital few. And so I really think that that very simple, generic-sounding suggestion is a great place to start uh, of, on this journey of transformation from being a non-essentialist to becoming an essentialist. Greg, you've dedicated your career to discovering why some people break through to the next level and others don't. And you've worked with leaders of companies such as Airbnb, Apple, Google, mm -hmm. Facebook, Pixar, Twitter, and Yahoo. What have you learned? What do those leaders do differently that makes them so successful? 
Well, first of all, what, what I noticed was a pattern of, uh, of why success doesn't continue. And, and to me, this is a very interesting question. So I, I, you know, because, well, I noticed this pattern. So when somebody or even a team of people in a company have real clarity about what matters to them, then it leads to success. And success produces so many options and opportunities that if they're not careful, those options and opportunities will lead to the undisciplined pursuit of more. If you fall into that undisciplined pursuit of more, a sort of chaotic experience, then then actually what's happened without people ever meaning to is that success has become a catalyst for failure because it, it has undermined the very clarity that led to success in the first place. So the, the antidote is the disciplined pursuit of less but better. So this is what I've observed that, that, that companies and indeed individuals who, uh, who are able to continue in success or even break through to a higher and higher level of contribution have this, this counter cultural way of operating so that they're going through um, a pretty disciplined approach. Greg, you say that learning to be disciplined becomes effortless. I bet there are many people right now believing that this practice is going to be extremely challenging. What do you say to them? Well, I, I say to people to start small and invest in a long-term play. So essentialism is a way of thinking and ultimately it's a way of being. So that means that it isn't just sudden turnaround, quick fix, and we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a realistic way of approaching it. But if somebody says, look, I actually want to become an essentialist. I want to operate in a way that I continually come back on track. This is the right, the right first approach. Uh, the second thing I'll say is, in terms of setting expectation for this journey, is that, you know, I personally have never spent a, a single day uh, as a perfect essentialist. Mm-hmm. You know, like I... I, not one single day that I feel like, oh, I just every I focus only on what was mattered, absolutely most from beginning of the day to the end of the day. I, this, but but here, and here's what I think in terms of a metaphor for this is is I think most of us, as we pursue the journey of becoming essentials, will be off track 90% of the time. But if you're on a plane and you go from point A to point B, the the plane is off track 90% of the time. Uh, the reason it gets to where it's supposed to, where it's supposed to, is because it keeps coming back on track. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the key, is, is what we need is a, a correction mechanism. And uh, that, 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 you know, my best insight into how to do that is to, is to create a cadence, uh, a planning cadence. It's, it's these p- particular planning uh, cycles. But first do the, what we've already talked about, first do the log. First, to actually capture a good, a clearer sense of where the time is being spent and, and then moving to this planning cadence. The reason you've got to do the, the log first is because you're going to discover um, low-hanging fruit in the process. You're going to discover, man, I didn't realize I was spending that much time checking the news. I didn't have that much time on Facebook, that much time on social media, that much time. You're going to suddenly see, wow, I can start with some of the easy stuff here. I can just reduce that. I was spending spending an hour a day before on whatever. Now I'm going to spend half an hour on it. And you suddenly go, I've got a full half an hour back for every day for like my whole life. That is a huge win. So so you start with a log. Then as you gain some of that time back, you use some of that time 
to now move on to into this planning process. Here's what I suggest people do. Yeah, certainly plan every day, uh, 20 minutes. So, so make a trade-off between one of these low-hanging, you know, non-essential, obvious non-essential items in your life. Reduce some of that to get this 20 minutes of planning every day. That's the highest leverage uh, activity I think people can do to, uh, to accelerate their journey towards being an essentialist. Well, secondly, it's similar, which is uh, a weekly design session where you're, you're doing more than just making a list uh, of, of sort of things that are on my mind. You're doing more than just quick uh, review of the calendar, although I think those two things help. Uh, you're, you're starting to say, okay, I have all the things I'm doing. Let's prioritize them. Let's actually identify if I could only get one thing done, it would be this item and so on. So you just take the time to prioritize the list. Even if people didn't do more than that, but they did do that each week, and it might take them as much as an hour. Sometimes it will take me more, more than that, twice that. But the payback is so fast for doing it. The third thing that I've learned that you need to do in terms of a cadence of, of, of planning and reflection is to hold a personal quarterly offsite, uh, which you take is somewhere between half day and even a full day to really look at the big picture of your life, to start saying, okay, what, you know, this is like strategic planning uh, for, for, for the individual or for your family. It's saying, okay, what is really the purpose of our lives? What are we really going after? What are the long-term goals? Let's say five-year goals. And you, you're identifying those. You, you're breaking that down to then 90-day, you know, prioritized uh, list of objectives. And, and you're trying to be very careful about which ones to, to go after. That each of them really should be nine or 10 out of 10 important to you. Uh, so so the, those, that's the, the cadence that I, I recommend. And, and it's of course people will miss a day of planning. Of course they'll miss a week of planning. Of course they might miss even a quarterly offsite. But you keep coming back to that cadence. You go, okay, well, I didn't do it yesterday. Well, today you start. Let's do a planning, you know, another daily planning session. And we can talk about how to do that because I think that I used to think people just knew how and it was obvious and they just weren't doing it. But actually I've learned that, that often people don't really know how to do those planning sessions. But, but anyway, that's what I think people need to do. And it, it is doable. You can do it. You can develop that habit uh, and, uh, and, and, and keep coming back to them over time. It helps enormously. The book is Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Lust. If you'd like to get more information about Greg and his work, you can visit gregmcewen.com. Greg, thank you so much for being here and for teaching us ways to better use our time and energy in order to produce breakthrough results. I, I think the way you described it, it, it's such a key because we need to understand that it's not going to be perfect, and when it's not perfect, we shouldn't give up. The important thing is to just bring ourselves back on track and keep moving forward. So thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This is Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman, host of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life has a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. 
We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life 24-7. Visit CYACYL.com and be sure to tell your friends. Emotional freedom technique, also known as EFT or tapping, is a highly effective energy-based treatment method developed by Gary Craig. The technique involves gently tapping on meridian acupoints on the face and body while focusing on emotions, thoughts, and beliefs that one wishes to release. Hi, I'm Donna Sacconi, an integrative psychotherapist. Meridians are invisible pathways that correspond with the major organs in the body. Each organ has an associated emotion. For example, fear relates to the kidneys and anger to the liver. A disruption in the energy flow of the meridians can cause negative emotions, limiting beliefs, or physical pain, keeping us stuck and often unable to move forward. These imbalances stand in the way of achieving optimal emotional and physical health and can cause serious and chronic disease when left untreated. Successful outcomes in the relief of symptoms of anxiety, depression, phobias, trauma, and grief have been reported in anecdotal accounts by thousands, and there is now rigorous scientific research showing EFT to be an evidence-based therapeutic method. Participants in one study showed a significant decrease in the stress chemical cortisol and significant improvements in anxiety and mood. EFT works and combines well with various types of conventional psychotherapy. It goes beyond talk because it targets the subconscious at the root of the problem. It is a non-invasive process and has no known side effects. To learn more about how tapping can help you, connect with me at DonnaSacconi.com. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Harriet Cabelli, a social worker and positive psychology coach who helps people grow through their challenges and rebuild their lives with renewed meaning and joy. Harriet is here today to discuss how to avoid becoming a victim of circumstance. Welcome, Harriet. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me. Harriet, when bad things happen to us that are out of our control, How do we not let our circumstances victimize us? When bad things happen to us, I think it's crucial to being able to live on to figure out that despite the fact that we've been victimized by our circumstance, we don't have to remain in the role of victim. Because when we remain in that role of victim, it sets us up for a life moving forward of victimhood mm-hmm. and we kind of stay stuck in a mindset of I've been victimized I can't help it woe is me and that's kind of how the life plays out and that woe is me that pity which is absolutely normal and natural to feel after one has a horrible circumstance happen but to remain there is what keeps us in a very bad place in life and does not allow us to grow and move forward. It's Mm -hmm. all about choice, meaning we didn't choose the circumstance, but we certainly can choose our response. And our ability to respond is completely in our choice. It then behooves us to step onto a path of, now what am I going to do with this? And that really becomes our choice. It becomes a mindset and it becomes our 
way of responding. And if I can quote from one of my favorite people, Dr. Viktor Frankl, who wrote one of the best books, Man's Search for Meaning, he says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And I think that really sums up that idea of it is our choice how we respond to what happens to us. And Harriet, I couldn't agree more because I went through some difficult times in my life. And the way I describe it to people is like you get to this fork in the road and it, you, you realize that I can either go in one direction and be a victim and let the circumstances defeat me or I can make that choice. And I agree with you. It's a choice and go in a different direction. So what do you think we should do? in order to make that choice, to go in the different direction and not be a victim. And, and making that choice is very intentional. We need to realize or be of the belief to begin with that we do have the choice, that it's not, well, that happened, that's it, I'm out of luck. And many, many people believe that circumstance defines them. In fact, there's a, there's a researcher at a Stanford, uh, Sonia Lubriansky, if I'm saying her name correctly, um, who, wrote, who, who researched and, and came up with this pie of happiness where she, um, she, put, she divided the pie into three parts and came up with the fact that only 10% of our well-being, or happiness as she calls it, is defined by circumstance. 50% is genetic makeup, and 40% is our intentional behaviors, meaning our attitudes, our beliefs, our actions, and only 10% is circumstance. And that's very surprising. I think it would surprise many, many people, because most of us do believe our lives are defined by what happens to us and our, and, and our circumstances and our situations. So first of all, we have to develop the belief and mindset that we can go beyond our circumstance, that it is in our ability or in our repertoire to be able to transcend and overcome and go beyond what happens to us. And if we can buy into that and believe that we can do that, then we can start to take the steps forward. We need to go through the pain and the grief and allowing ourselves for those feelings. And if we stay stuck through that grief for a while, that's okay. That's normal and natural. And then we have to at some point realize that once we're helping ourselves by allowing ourselves to feel the pain, that we can look to begin to get unstuck. We can look to, again, as Viktor Frankl says, make meaning. How do we make meaning out of suffering? How do we make meaning out of bad things that happen? And, and we can, whether it's, it's by taking on a, a, a big thing, a big organization or a project, or just making small shifts within ourselves, because if something happens to us or, or we get a disease, can we reach out and become an advocate for others? But it is about what we do with what happens to us and how we can reintegrate and reincorporate the, the, the adversity or the circumstance that happened to us so that we can then not dismiss it and say, you know, I, I, I just won't deal with it anymore or not to stay stuck in it, but to 
weave it into the fabric of our lives and then take it and create, if I, if I may say, a new, a new tapestry. After we've taken this in and grieved and incorporated it into our lives, what will our new life look like going forward? Harriet, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to get more thank about you. this topic or more about Harriet and her work, you can visit her website, rebuildlifenow.com. And as always, to hear more from Harriet, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com forward slash Harriet. Have you ever thought about the power of grounding and protecting your energy and how it can impact your life? The answer for most is probably not. You may ask, what is grounding? What do I have to protect myself from? Have you ever woken up feeling great and on top of the world? Then on the way to work, you stopped to pick up a cup of coffee and the person at the counter was not very pleasant. Their vibrations seem to penetrate you and all of a sudden you are not feeling on top of the world anymore. You just got zapped with someone's low vibration schmutz, which can remain with you for the rest of the day. And there you have it. You become a victim of unwanted energy from a complete stranger. We are affected by other people's thoughts, emotions, and words, whether in person, on the phone, or the internet. Here are some simple steps to help ground and protect yourself before you begin the day. Upon awakening, sit on the edge of a bed or a chair, feet flat on the floor, and imagine roots growing out from your feet and reaching into the earth's core. Bring the energy of the full spectrum of the rainbow up through your feet, through your whole body, and out the top of your head, and spiral the energy outside of your body back into the earth. Then bring in universal white light in through your crown chakra, down through your body, then out your feet, and spiral up the outside of your body, back to the heavens. And there you have it. You are protected and grounded for the day. This is Roxanne D'Angelo, an intuitive master teacher of multiple energy healing modalities. For more information, you can visit me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. Thermography has been comprehensively researched for over 30 years. While it is not a replacement for mammography and other imaging techniques, it may have many valuable assets including early detection of neurovascular patterns, adjunct to inconclusive mammograms, improved detection for women with dense breasts or implants, or a reasonable alternative for women who refuse mammogram. Hi, I'm Lisa Mack, Certified Clinical Thermographer. Here with a few facts about medical thermography. In 1982, the FDA approved breast thermography as an adjunct breast screening procedure. Of the extensive research conducted since the late 1950s, well over 300,000 women have been included as study participants. An abnormal thermogram is 10 times more significant as a future risk indicator for breast disease than a first-order family history. A persistent abnormal thermogram carries with it a 22 times higher risk of future breast disease. Extensive clinical trials have shown the breast thermography significantly augments the long-term survival rates of its recipients by as much as 61%. If you'd like to learn more about breast thermography, visit lisasthermographyandwellness.com. Barbecuing is much more than burgers and hot dogs. It's a reflection of you. With a little creativity and adventurous spirit, you can cook just about any of your favorite foods on the grill. 
Hi, I'm Chef Todd, your healthy cooking expert, here with some of my favorite barbecue items. Steaks are great on the grill, but remember that leaner steak cuts possess less flavor and will be tougher if cooked past medium. Try to pick a steak with specks and strands of fat in between the muscle tissue. At cooking time, these small bits of fat will melt a process called marbling and make the meat juicier. Best steaks for the grill are ribeye, New York strip, and skirt. When cooking chicken, if you intend to eat the skin, rub the outside with a little butter or oil and then lightly season it. This will give the chicken a crispy, savory skin. If you're not eating the skin, don't season the outside as it can't penetrate the skin. Season under the skin. To reduce the amount of browning or blackening of meat, only apply tomato-based sauces containing sugars during the last 10 minutes or so of grilling. Sausage is great on the grill. People tend to think that sausage is only pork, but some of my favorites include chicken, buffalo, and turkey. Fish is a healthy choice for the grill. The fattier fishes with the most flavor in omega-3 fats include salmon, bluefish, tuna, halibut, walleye, and sea bass. Coat fish with oil so it doesn't stick to the grill, season with aromatic herbs, and cook on low heat. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.